0: Hi, I'm Carlos Frias, the host of Sundial. Today on the show, it's Miami Film Festival Week, and we've got two guests to take us behind the scenes. First, where in Miami could you find fresh fruit, a pet parrot, and a fake Louis handbag? The Opalaca Hialeah Flea Market, of course. It was the place to be. When it closed in 2022, it was the end of an era. A new film takes us inside the lives of an immigrant family who relied on it to make ends meet. Plus, Imagine having your first kiss on stage in front of a live audience. That moment led to one South Florida woman to become an intimacy coordinator. She helps actors treat steamy scenes like choreography. We'll talk to them both on Sundial, starting in five minutes after the news. Welcome to Sundial on WLRN. I'm Carlos Frias. Where in Miami could you find fresh fruit, a pet parrot, and designer bags? Some real, some fake.
1: Opalaka Hialeah is the place you show. more than just a market,
0: it's a great big show. Opalaka! Ah, the Opalaka Hialeah Flea Market. That little tune helped make this iconic place famous. In September 2022, it closed after operating for nearly four decades. The largest flea market in the country was sold to a New York-based trust for development. It was the end of an era. A new local film, premiering at the Miami Film Festival, takes us back to that time. Awake Before Dawn follows a fictional immigrant family, a mom and two boys. They spend their day under a tent at the flea market selling knickknacks to make ends meet. The movie was filmed just as the Opalaka Hialeah Flea Market was closing. The filmmaker behind it, Jose Navas, believes the timing was providential. The film premieres at the Silver Spot Cinemas in downtown Miami on Friday, March 10th. And Jose joins us now. Bienvenido, Jose. Hey, thank you
1: for having me, Carlos.
0: So this this film, this 20-minute film, really centers around this little bit of conflict that happens in this family, but it kind of sets off the struggle that is at the heart of the families and the people that are vendors, that have been vendors at flea markets everywhere, like the Opalaka flea market is like, like symptomatic or shows what a lot of folks who, who make their livelihoods out of the flea market are like. Give us a little tease about the, the heart of that film, of this particular film.
1: Yeah, you know, you, you nailed it right on the head. You know, this film tells the story of Santi a young immigrant boy Mm -hmm. who works hard every day at the local flea market with his mother and his little brother. And uh, an unfortunate turn of event, he learns a lesson in sacrifice and in what really matters in life, Mm -hmm. right? Which is the people that we have around us, the ones that we love. And so there's so much, there's there's definitely heart into it. And, you know, Opalaka, the flea market was such a staple in our community, um, specifically for the immigrant community. So many were, of us were able to come in and have a place where we could now make a living, right? And so it was—it's—it's it's, uh, something that was very critical to be able to showcase in the film for us.
0: Right. It's funny because you said it was important for us. So tell me about your your personal experience with with, uh, the flea market life in general that led to this fictional movie.
1: Yeah, so I immigrated with my parents when I was young, very young, maybe three, four years old, came here from Nicaragua. And one of the very first places my parents were able to make a living from was working at a lot, at a flea market.
0: Oh, which flea market was that? Yeah,
1: so we worked at the one in Flagler. It was on 37th and Flagler. I think they used to, or I'm not sure if they still race dogs. Yeah, yeah. There's maybe. a there's a dog track out there. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. that used to be a flea market. I don't know that they Way race back. dogs
0: anymore, but but it, now it's like a casino. It's like, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. So back then, maybe we're talking about, you know, almost 20 years ago. <clears throat> uh, we started there. We worked at various ones, and uh, you know, what did your parents sell? Like what kind of things? Yeah. So say? so we they sold a, a very a various various little different things like you know sandals to kitchenware um uh porcelain fi- figurines um i see a lot of that in that film yeah we just a little bit of everything yeah uh to to make sure that uh, you were diverse you diversified your market you know you
0: wanted to be able to catch people exactly. catch their eye with something right
1: yeah and that's critical in the film that's so important uh you know Santi sees his mom work.
0: The main, the the main character boy. The main the,
1: character, the little boy. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to uh, just a big shout out to uh, David Mingo, um, Chris Amaro, uh, Carolina Sperotero, Miguel. Uh, Were these guys Gomez. the actors? These are all the actors: Sidney Barbosa, Juan Carlos Garces. You know, a great cast. Uh, but he, he, Santi sees his mom work, and. You know obviously that has an impact on him
0: right tell me about the impact <clears throat> it had on you working in that flea market environment like um you know were there were there aspects of it that you really wanted to show in your movie that were that were felt true to you
1: correct as a filmmaker i think it's important to be able to tell stories that come from within side of you mm-hmm. there has to be a certain amount of confidence as a filmmaker to be able to get to that point i mean look at Steven Spielberg and the Fables, Fablemans. I think it's really one of his first, one of the first times, other than Schindler's List, that he's able that he was really tapping into his own personal life, and that took many, many years. Um, I'm definitely not close to <laughs> Steven Spielberg, but I love and believe in telling stories that come from inside of you and. That's what the story is about. Um, I definitely took very much of my own experiences working and meeting the different people, the different vendors, um, watching my parents wake up every day early on the weekends, uh, and, uh, and and me helping them and my little brother as well. And so I definitely used those experiences um, to tell this story. Was there is there a character?
0: <clears throat> and I think I know the answer to this, but is there a character that you identify with? The most in that movie.
1: Yeah, definitely Santi. Yeah. It's definitely Santi. You know, I was that little boy carrying boxes. I was, um, I remember when I used to work at the flea market, the vendors around us, they used to call me uh, El Hombre Araña, which is Spider-Man, no right? Little Spider-Man. Because I used to go up and put the tents, and back then it wasn't like it is now where you see a lot of the tents already pre-set up. <clears throat> vendors usually just leave them up. Back then you, it was like concrete floor. You know, you'd right. come in in the morning, five o'clock. By six o'clock, it was a city of tents. So five
0: a.m., <clears throat> it was like your whole family would get up and like you would you would put together your your flea market booth.
1: Yeah, we'd get up, we'd all the boxes pack up, um, have the boxes ready to go, pack them up into the van. We couldn't leave them in the van because there was one time where we left boxes into the, in the van and we and it, we got it got robbed
0: it got stolen Stolen. what did that mean for you guys to have everything stolen like that must have been devastating
1: yeah it's hard it's tough it's tough you know uh, coming in coming to this country being everything so strange not knowing the language not having those resources um, it's hard it's hard and, and every dollar counts and, and that you kind of get into that in that film.
0: there is there is uh, without giving it away. There's a moment where like it looks like they're gonna be short. Like, they're, like they' like there's been a miscalculation and they're gonna be short. and you can see the desperation on their faces. Do you Do you remember a time like that where you looked at your parents and were like, oh, there a big a big critical thing happened here, and it's you know you yeah, can see where they were.
1: Yeah, it's it's that there's been definitely you know younger coming up. There were definitely times where things were hard. Yeah, you know um, <clears throat> we didn't have the things that every you know a lot of other kids had, but but that's okay, you know that that is okay. I think um, you know that helps that molds you that matures you. Uh, that life when it's harder it teaches you so much you know if life was easy what 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 lessons are you going to learn right you're skating by and so when you have hardships it really molds you it teaches you it makes you wiser but there were definitely times that things were hard you know um we'd have to work a little extra my mom had to take on you know a third job <clears throat> you know and uh but that taught me so much
0: what your folks are they still with us and and what and if so what are, what are they? What do they think about seeing their lives kind of fictionalized and seeing their, and seeing you k- be able to, to have this career where it's not li- kind of living day to day at the at the flea
1: market and yeah and seeing themselves on film. <clears throat> yeah, it was interesting. I wasn't sure how they were go- when I showed them the film. You know, obviously they knew that I was producing it, uh, but when they saw the film, it was an emotional moment. Yeah. It was an, an emotional moment.
0: Tell me about that. What was that like?
1: Uh, I, my dad got emotional. I, I My son was watching the film as well. Ooh. Um, kind and, of that
0: three generation thing going yeah, on there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my mom, she's very stoic, but she was proud. Yeah. She was like, it's a beautiful film. I was like, yeah. Hopefully we won w- awards and hopefully we can show it to a lot of people. But it was definitely... You know when I, I when I showed it to them, it wasn't, I it wasn't like, hey, I did this for you. It was never about that because integrity for me as a filmmaker is important, right? If I want to tell a story, is because I believe in it, in 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 all facets of 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 it, and not just because I'm doing it for this specific reason, right? Right, and so it has to come from within. And the story was always that it was a film that I wrote <clears throat> initially, co-wrote. Not, not thinking I was going to write something, um, not thinking of it as, hey, this is a personal, I'm tapping into my experience or, or, or telling a story that's really, I, I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was thinking of it as, what do I know? What experiences have I gone through? And how can I tell a great story? And so that's how it came out. When I showed them the film, mm-hmm. I wanted them to know that they inspired me and that inspired the film.
0: I'm curious what then what it was like to then be at this place where you grew up, similar to a place where you grew up. You're at the you know the Opelika, Hialeah flea market, and you're filming there. That that was the location, right? Yes. And tell me what that was like. Did you feel a little bit transported, like sleeping in your, in your childhood bedroom? <laughs> you know,
1: I did. I did, especially when we were uh, you know uh, with the art, working with the art department. And because we, when we worked, when we shot at the flea market, they gave us a nice sizable lot that was empty, but it was, re- it was right next to the flea market. So we had our own movie set, but you, we had to kind of create our own little flea market. And so we had, you know, our, we had to buy tents and they were authentic to how we used to make them back then. So we didn't go buy tents at, you know, <clears throat> Walmart or Home Depot or those we bought. We made uh, we made them to the way they were before, and that brought so many memories. Because I remember the pipes and putting the weight and and the tarp, and then physically there. building the, yeah, the tent every week. Exactly, every building weekend, it, you. you know, and then watching uh, David, who plays Santi, mm-hmm. watching him on screen on the monitor carry those boxes and putting them into the van. I mean, that hit home. Yeah, that was that was. And now talking about it, it gives me chills. <laughs> yeah. Was was there an element
0: because, you know, we see there's great shots. It feels really authentic to being, you know, from what I remember going to the, to the flea market as a kid. Were there any of folks like from the actual flea market in like the background is like, you know, uh, like location kind of background? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I did, the first, the very, very first thing I did once we got the okay from the flea market, I went and I wanted to, talk to a lot of the vendors and let and 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 telling them hey we're a production company introducing myself telling them my personal um connection to the flea market that was very important because you know uh you have to it's a community and you have to be able to get people on board And some people have, you know, they want to sell. This is their business. So I can't expect that I'm going to come in and, then, you know, shoot a movie and running around. And we we did use a lot of the uh, uh, flea market. So there was a running scene where we actually cut through the flea market. So I wanted to kind of connect with the vendors and let them know, hey, this is what we're doing. This is who I am. But this story is for us and that was so important and it was so special to be able to talk to them. So there are a lot of vendors, real vendors. We used as many real vendors as possible in the film. What Did you hear some stories from
0: them? Did they then share some of their own stories about why they were there and how, like, their background and what they were trying to get to, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I spoke to to one lady who was, you know, she had a, a nice big lot. It was like a double lot. She had a bunch of different things, shoes and... Um, tools, right? And I, I was watching her there, and I, we were there all day, you know, uh, for a whole week. And for we we shot three, four days there, and I was watching. And I'd watch her, and I'd watch her in the morning, and she'd sit there in the, during the day, and the whole day. And she, she, I, you know, we started talking, and I asked her, you know, how's business? You know, are you selling a lot? Because I would see her a lot of times, just kind of like just sitting there, and you know, and. I found out that really this is all she knows. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and talk in talking to her, i I saw that she loved communicating, like being able to talk to people from that community. Right. Right. And, and, you know, just being able to help. Right. So we're most of, of the vendors, they're, they're immigrants, right. They're from different countries. Right. And so,
0: well, that was important for you to show to yeah. show the background of these folks and, and
1: yes yes because really that's you know if you think about it uh, these places these like the flea market it gives our community of immigrant communities uh that just came to this country an opportunity to find work if you don't have the means if you don't have let's say if you don't know the language right if you're just getting started like my parents right you need a you need some place like that. And that's why these places are so critical. And I think that she really loved just connecting with that, with her immigrant community. And maybe it was okay that she wasn't selling that much. And for me, I'm very much, I always look at what's bigger. Like what's next? What's, you know, I'm going, I want to go higher and higher. And so I really, it was a humbling uh, conversation having with her understanding that, you know she's enjoying what she does right absolutely yeah
0: we're gonna take a little break here but when we come back um i want to pick up with you with uh, jose navas he's a filmmaker uh, his new film is awake before dawn that's showing during the miami film festival about what it was like when you found out the market was closing be back on sundial in a minute yes We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guest today is Jose Navas. He's a filmmaker, and his new film, Awake Before Dawn, is showing at the Miami Film Festival, which starts this weekend. His film uh, will show um, on March 10th, which yes. is next Friday. Uh, if you missed any part of our conversation, all Sundial episodes are available on our daily podcast. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. So, uh, Jose, your the film is set... At the Opalaka Hialeah flea market, yes. and which is no longer around. But yes. you were filming when you and the folks around you heard that it was closing. Take me yes. to that moment. What was that like for you? And what was that like seeing that in those folks that rely on that place?
1: Yeah, it was it it was it was a crazy situation because we we had the script ready, and my team and I were starting to. Hunt for a, a flea market You know Where are we going to shoot And for me The Opalaka flea market Was my One of my top choices it w- It's it been It was in the part of the community For almost 50 years It still had that Old school uh, Traditional You know Tent You know It wasn't under It wasn't in like A, a, a big warehouse And so I Initially wanted to e- Immediately wanted to use Opalaka So we contacted them And We We got the okay So, we were awesome. We started preparing for the film. And maybe, I would say, three weeks before we were going to do principal photography, we get a call and they tell us, the manager, Ray, tells me, Hey, Jose, bad news. The new owners want us out. They're shutting down the flea market. And they're giving us 30 days. Wow. And I was speechless. I was, I couldn't believe it, you know. So
0: did you guys go ahead? Did you speed ahead and film everything you needed within those 30 days? Or no. Did you have to change location?
1: Yeah, I, I was, it was, there was no possible way for us to be able to do that, um, you know. <clears throat> and so, <laughs> it luckily, the vendors uh, protested. They got together with the city, with city officials, and ultimately, they were given instead of thirty days, ninety days. So right? your
0: production schedule—you uh, had more time there. All yeah, of a sudden, they yeah. they got a reprieve, and you had a reprieve to to film as well.
1: Well, yeah, you know, it, it's it's definitely it was a tough production. You know, it was a tough art, uh, being able to build that 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 lot and um and get and get this movie done. We knew it was going to take some time. It was a lot of preparation, and so when they gave us when they told when they told them about the 90 days i was still unsure if we were going to be able if the flea market was still going to let us move forward with it because mind you they were now in the midst of getting shut down what what were some of the
0: reactions from folks that you were seeing these vendors that like like your own family had had relied on it
1: i saw i saw i saw people crying yeah i saw i saw vendors break down um yeah I mean, it was pretty devastating. I saw vend. I saw many vendors, kind of like just not knowing what they were gonna do. Uncertainty, um, you know, breaking down. Yeah. You know, what do we do now? And right. and it was and it was kind of crazy to think that they were gonna give them thirty days after you know the uproar. They gave them that that ninety days. I contacted the. Um, <clears throat> I contacted the flea market, and I asked them you know now that we have this extra time that you guys have this extra time you know is it is it possible for us to be able to come in and, and and shoot this film i think now is probably the the right time to do this because if we don't go in there and shoot this is a way for us to kind of commemorate you know keep 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 the story alive keep the flea market alive and they came back after a week they said okay well you guys can shoot we were shooting we finished principal photography 1 week before what 2 weeks before it closed down and the day before the last day it was in operation we were shooting pickup shots b-roll shots so we were there shooting up until the last day the festival was in operation the what, the, the, the um the flea market was in operation
0: right what what did it mean to be shooting knowing both what that the family your fictional family on screen what they were going through but with the background of what these actual folks were going through how did that affect you think the the actors and your direction you know with with that if, looming in the background
1: yeah it, it really felt it felt like we were supposed to be there mm. it felt like this was supposed to the 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 opportunity was so narrow i mean we were there literally Picking up, doing B-roll shots and picking, doing pickup shots. The last day, the 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 uh, flea market was in operation, so it was really tight. We were like, we were in the nick of time, and I knew that I had to. There was something, you know, that was pushing me to do it to make sure that we get. Let's do it right. Let's tell this story. Let's bring it to life, and 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 show it to the world.
0: Because this was also a big part of your own life. It was a reflection of what was important in, in your own life. Tell me what the flea market meant for your family. Like, where are they today? Like, you're obviously a filmmaker. You know, like that, that led to, you know, your family kind of moving through um, economically, it sounds like, yes. that it was a big help for them. Where, where, you know, how did how much did that help them and where yeah. are they today?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm very glad to say that, you know, they they they're business owners. Uh, they got into the real estate business and I got into the real estate business because of my parents when oh, I was wow. 18. I got into it really young. And so I think that they accomplished what they were trying to do, which was to give us a better opportunity. And uh, yeah, so my my brother owns a restaurant. So we all learned. We're all entrepreneurs. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> so,
0: so really, and it all started with the ability to make a living for themselves at, at, at a flea market.
1: Absolutely. That in, they instilled that in, into us there at a very young age, you know, waking up when you were five, cl- five uh, years old to uh, pack up boxes, to pack up the van, you know, uh, be Spider-Man and putting the tents up, <laughs> you know, it, and working. And, uh, it, yeah, that instilled a lot of d- discipline, principles, and uh sacrifice of hard work
0: and then you can see it in your film that there is a desperation in those characters when because they they are literally living dollar to dollar yeah. uh in in that movie yeah how important do you think it is to have those kind of opportunities for for folks who are, who are recent immigrants or folks who you know are really trying to get a start how you know how is important yeah. is it to have those kinds of uh kind of grassroots um business opportunities you know yeah
1: i think it's important in so many levels it it, not only not only excuse me not only is it important in the fact that it gives you a job right it gives these immigrants uh recent immigrants a job but it, it also it it's it's a community it's like you feel like um you feel like it people are very much a family and so like I was mentioning before that one lady who was uh, who, a vendor who mm-hmm. was just there she was she was just that was her home and and she I, loved being there right have, have you been able to <laughs> keep in touch with any of those folks
0: that you yeah, might we, have they, they cross paths with
1: yeah we uh, we actually invited them to the premiere for the world uh, the world premiere at the Miami Film Festival so a few of them will be showing up and we're gonna be so excited to be able to have them see our film we believe that You know, being a Miami story, but more importantly, because of the effect that the shutdown of the Opalaka flea market had on a lot of these vendors, I really felt like this is was my way of saying, hey, thank you, you know, here, like watch like this is for us and hopefully we can you can we can show this film you know across the nation and 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 in many many places
0: how are you feeling about them seeing seeing a fictionalized version of themselves uh, on i'm screen? excited
1: i'm excited i'm definitely excited to see their to hear their feedback um i hope they enjoy it and um i'm excited i'm excited obviously
0: they're going to look at it one way you look at it one way cuz you have a personal tie but there're folks who are going to see it who don't have a tie other than if maybe they found themselves shopping there at some point, what do you hope that folks will take away from this movie?
1: Yeah, you know, this film has universal themes. It it really doesn't matter if you, you know, are a recent immigrant or if you are ultra successful. If you watch the film, you understand what it means to work hard you know the sacrifice to to putting in that labor and what truly matters in life, right the people around you. and that ultimately is the theme. So I think that anyone can watch this film and enjoy it and find inspiration in it.
0: and also learn something along the way. yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> We've been speaking with Jose Navas. He's a filmmaker, and his new film is Awake Before Dawn. It's showing during the Miami Film Festival, which starts Friday, and his film premieres March 10th at the Silver Spot Cinemas in downtown Miami. Thank you so much for joining us, Jose. Thank you for having me. When we come back, we're joined by an intimacy coordinator who will also be at the Miami Film Festival. She'll explain what has to happen behind the scenes to make those steamy moments on TV safe for actors. Welcome back to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. Her first kiss ever was gonna be on stage in front of a live audience. The student actor came to Nicole Perry for help. She confessed confessed she'd never kissed anyone before. Now she was being asked to do it publicly as part of a production. Nicole was a choreographer. She found herself thinking how so much care and instruction could go into teaching actors dance steps, but not the movements for an intimate scene. Nicole decided that had to change. She now works as a certified intimacy director for films, TV, and theater productions. She'll be hosting a master class at the Miami Film Festival on Thursday, March 9th, to talk about what goes into her role and how she makes scenes safe for actors, but steamy for the audience and she's here in studio with us today. Welcome Nicole.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited.
0: I know well, well listen, it's such an interesting topic, intimacy director, and it kind of makes you go aha, right? So take us through that first aha moment for you. Like why did this when you suddenly realized this is a job that needs to exist?
2: Yeah, I was I was teaching theater and dance to high school and middle school students and had worked for a while in youth theater and thought, you know, we tell them when to sit and stand. We go over how to say words properly and what's the emotional quality. We have dance steps. We have choreographers we bring in specifically for dance. We have choreographers we bring in specifically for fight scenes. Why are we not choreographing intimate scenes, whether it's a kiss or a hug, and not in the case of minors, but in the case of adults, of simulated sex? Why are we not having the same sort of choreographic process and creative process for that when we do everywhere else and the answer is usually because people feel weird talking about sex so right right.
0: (laughs) and it's and it's interesting that like you would leave that to chance like let's plan out every other single thing including every shot and every light and uh, you know exposing every pore on the face But then at this part, just go ahead just and wing it. Just go for
2: it. it. Just go for it is so often the note that's given. And sometimes I think that comes from an uncomfortability. And sometimes I think it comes from a really good place of like, we don't want the actors to do anything that they're uncomfortable with. So if we let them do it, then it will be what they're comfortable with. Right. But but that doesn't take into account the power dynamics between the actors. If one is famous and one is not, then one could feel really pressured to do something a certain way. And uh, with students, the power dynamics are just out of control because they're trying to please adults who are also their teachers who are giving them grades.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's odd. Well, take me through that that first example. Not maybe not all the way through, but just kind of tell me a little bit about about how that resolved itself. Like, what did you tell that young woman who was going to have her first kiss ever, never been kissed? And Yeah, uh, now, like, I
2: don't think it, I mean, I don't think it went well because I did not have the skills that I have now. Sure. I was not trained in intimacy choreography, um, but we did have a separate rehearsal where it was just the two actors and they were not in front of everybody else in the cast and it wasn't, you know, in front of a live audience for the first time so that they could have that moment separate and not have to entertain people with it Uh, and we did talk about like oh which way should our heads go should they go right or left so that we don't smash our faces together you know but now I have so many more skills that I so wish I could travel back in time to that moment and just handle it with even more care
0: well let's let's go back in time in our minds so tell me about some of the skills that you learned that you realize like now looking back that these are important things what kind of things do you try to do on set Uh, what skills do you try to bring to make it comfortable for actors?
2: Yeah, the first thing that I do when I'm having a conversation with an actor is to ask them about what are their boundaries? What are their needs for the scene? Are there things that they don't want to do? They don't want to have touched. They don't want to touch on someone else. They don't want to have the camera see or the camera keep body parts or actions. What do they need to feel really confident that they are being portrayed in the best light and their camera their character is telling the story that they want to tell and then we talk about the character what is this moment for this character what is important to them as the actor about this moment for the character you know is it A first kiss and are they nervous are they excited is this a moment that's been building up and coming for a long time or is it a spur-of-the-moment choice so that we know the sort of emotional qualities that we want the movement and the moment to have
0: right Uh, in other words looking at the intention of every single thing like you would in the rest of the film
2: yeah exactly it really is about storytelling they Intimacy choreography makes for better stories. One, because the actors feel confident, because they know that their needs are taken care of. But two, it supports what the actors want their characters to be doing and what the directors want those characters to be doing.
0: Contrary to how how it was when you were first getting into it, how is this whole topic addressed in acting circles and acting schools now? Is it becoming more mainstream?
2: It definitely is becoming more mainstream I think it's becoming more mainstream particularly in film and TV and we use the title intimacy coordination in film and TV so it goes along with a stunt coordinator and we use the title intimacy director in theater dance and opera so it goes along with a fight director we try to have the same credits as our colleagues wherever we are Uh, but Bridgerton really put intimacy coordination on the map Uh, there were an The first credited intimacy director is Alicia Rodas on HBO's The Deuce in 2018. So it's been around for about five years, but Bridgerton was really the explosion of pop culture intimacy coordination. I mean, there was an SNL skit about intimacy coordination, so people know what it is now. In theater, it's not quite as popular, and in dance, it's really not an opera is growing the met uh, used intimacy directors last season for their new operas and uh, abt and new york city ballet are just now starting to use intimacy direction in dance so it's really growing in live performance which i also think is interesting because it's where the field started it started as intimacy direction but is falling behind
0: Uh, tell me about that Bridgerton kind of explosion like how did how did that become a a pop cultural uh touchstone and and like what what made it so special um and, and so important for your for your career for your business
2: I think because the stars were very vocal about it, about having an intimacy coordinator, about having a great experience. Lizzie Talbot was the main intimacy coordinator on that, about having a great experience with Lizzie, and that it was choreographed like a dance, and that they felt like they knew what was expected of them at any moment. They didn't have to make things up, that they knew how they were doing at their job because they had an intimacy coordinator. They knew when they had done a good job because they did their choreography,
0: and that adds to the the film experience. If uh, if if they're being able to to know whether they did a good job,
2: yeah. Because if your brain is stuck between trying to be your character, but then trying to monitor your own behavior and your partner, like, is this weird? Do they think it's weird? I might think it's weird. I'm not sure. What if I do that? Is that then you don't have the same energy to give to your character and give to your performance?
0: D- did you, have you seen? The, um, pushback to it because it's that one part of film that like you said nobody talked about and said hey let's just wing this part uh did you see any kind of pushback to that?
2: yeah there's definitely some pushback uh from various people in the industry you know sometimes it's directors that think like oh I've always done this this way and nobody's complained before so I think it's fine.
0: I've always done this this way is usually a bad reason to keep doing something (laughs) right?
2: It really is it really is and that tells me they're not really considering those power dynamics again of like is an actor really going to say to the director actually I'm not sure if I want to do this you know because they're going to be worried about their next job, having a good working relationship. like Is an actor really at liberty to say no? So it's not a good reason to keep doing it at all. And sometimes it does come from actors that are afraid that over choreographing a moment will take away their ability to be in the moment that they'll be thinking about this hand goes here and that hand goes there. And so we talk about other moments where things are choreographed for safety and for accuracy, like fights and dance. And then we also have a variety of tools. Like sometimes I do choreograph things right down to when you inhale and when you exhale and where your baby finger goes. (laughs) And sometimes we create containers where we're like, as long as your hands are on their back, they can be anywhere on their back. So you can follow those impulses. And that is a conversation between the two actors, or more, uh, and me and the director of what's going to work for this pair. It's not a formula that applies to everything.
0: It's very much about hitting your marks, right? Like that's still, that's, it's, it's a thing that they can connect with, yeah. I guess. Um, tell me about some of the feedback that you've gotten from actors that are, that you're working with for the first time, who had never had this and maybe had apprehensions about it. What kind of feedback do you get from them?
2: Well, Lots of the actors that I've worked with, I get to be their first intimacy coordinator, their intimacy director, because it's not a big field in Florida and, and locally. So I get to be the first for a lot of folks. And what... I hear most often from actors is that it makes it feel like it's part of the creative process. Mm. And actually, Matt Stabile, who's the artistic director of Theater Lab in Boca, uh, I've worked with him as a director and as an actor. And that is actually a quote uh, from him in an interview that he did about it was the first time he felt like it was part of everything else. It was treated just like everything else and that allowed him to really be in his job and not have to try to take on the role of choreographer. And I also hear a lot, particularly from young female actors who in independent films might be the only woman on a set or one of two women on a set, that it just allows them to have a level of solidarity and comfortability and confidence in their performance because everybody knows what to expect. The crew gets a heads up. Sometimes the first AD does a safety meeting, and we'll talk about a closed set, that it's only going to be essential personnel, and this is the kind of scene we're doing, especially if it's a scene that involves violence or trauma, as well as sex or nudity.
0: Right, that's, and, that's an, added, uh, an added part that folks may not think about.
2: Right. So we want to take care of the crew, too. We want them to know what they're going to see, and that's something that hasn't always happened. Crew shows up to work, and then seeing a scene of sexual violence, That could be very upsetting or activating for them when they didn't maybe know that that's what they were coming to work on that day. And so knowing that there's an intimacy coordinator that's handling that moment is really reassuring, not only for the actors who now know this is what I have to do to do this job well, but for the crew to know these actors are safe. They feel confident about it. They've had conversations about it. They've maybe even had a rehearsal before we've gotten to here. And so that they can feel confident that what they're witnessing is acting.
0: Right. Why why did this become important to you? Was there a moment in your career, in your acting career, where you thought, I could have really used someone like me on set?
2: I haven't acted in a, in a bit now, uh, but I was I was acting in Philly. I'm from Philly, uh, a little over a decade ago, and you know had a stage kiss that was just one of those moments of like, and kiss, and you'll figure it out, and we'll do that, and it was totally fine, and that colleague was totally wonderful and great, and we are still colleagues and friends to this day. But I do remember thinking like, how weird that like we just had to figure that out for ourselves and then the moment with students which again i would never handle in the same way and i would never have minors actually kiss on stage now either because that's a whole different that's discussion a holy, exactly. <laughs> um, so, but it forces
0: it forces a discussion about issues just like this yeah right it
2: makes it made me really think about when i went to my first uh, intimacy training the first class i went to was with laura reichard who was of theatrical intimacy education and she was teaching at the University of Miami at the time and she held a workshop. And I went to that workshop and I was like, oh, this is a way for me to use my movement background. I am a dancer and choreographer, so my training is in movement. This is a way for me to use my movement background in a new and interesting way. And I feel like it'll help these moments that I'm seeing come up as a teacher. And then I went to a workshop with IDI, Intimacy Directors International, where they started talking about the power dynamics that exist between teachers and students and the power dynamics that exist between directors and actors and even between actors in the industry. And it added this whole other level to the work of like, this is not only a work for clarity of movement and better storytelling, but this is also work that makes people's lives better and that's really exciting for me to be able to use art to make people's lives better yeah uh,
0: take me through a time recently when uh there was a scene can you walk us through a, a scene in a in a sure. public radio uh, pg-13 <laughs> <interesting> way, way. <laughs> uh that 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 was important can you talk
2: yeah oh I'll, I'll know this is a safe one because it was with students uh i was just at new world they just did company at new world school of the arts uh for the, the university program and company does have a very long extended sex scene. And so
0: <laughs> So you had your you had so did you then have to think about the details of how this would be this could be expressed.
2: Yeah. And talked with the actors about again, what are they confident in doing on stage and knowing that in that theater it's a black box. So the audience is very, very close to you. And it's a musical and the orchestra is even closer to you. Oh, so wow. it's like a second audience <laughs> to have that. So we had to talk about what are, what are boundaries and issues and needs for this scene? What are we wearing? What are we confident in wearing and being on stage in knowing that even though this is the college division, our parents are coming, our grandparents are coming, all of our family members are going to see this show, too. And the story that we have to tell is the worst stage direction ever. They have sex. Right. (laughs) Because that means so many things but because it means so many things it means that we can uphold actor boundaries and we can uphold a director's vision with a stage direction like that because there are a million ways to have sex
0: right and then you're able to fill in the blanks of what that means for this particular scene how much do you think that that helps build trust um in really making something legitimate that could otherwise be like this, you know, this improv thing that could go in many different directions.
2: Yeah, it really can. And with particularly this scene, like it's the whole scene of undressing, they ha- they get into the bed, they get out of the bed, they get redressed. There are so many pieces that have to happen and that have to happen in a sensible manner so the audience stays in it and believes your story. And You as the actor need to know all these things are happening and I still have to know where all of my costume pieces went so I can put them back on (laughs) and not feel rushed in the scene to get everything done. So I think it builds a lot of trust between the actors and also just in the creative process. It builds trust for the audience when they see it, that they know that the actors are safe and for the crew as well. But it also gives these actors skills that they can take into every other job that they go into whether there's an intimacy professional that's hired or not which is how to talk to your scene partner about what their boundaries are how to talk to the director about what your boundaries are if you need to do that how to think through these scenes as moments of choreography rather than oh no we have to figure it out okay we can figure it out because we know how bodies work so i get excited Particularly for students to have interactions with intimacy professionals because it's still a new field and not every film is going to have an intimacy coordinator Even if they need one and to be able to just have those skills to advocate for your own boundaries and to have a good Clear conversation with your scene partner about what you each expect and how to take care of each other is so important
0: It's you do um Intimacy uh, coordination and directing for theater, but also film. Uh, Mm -hmm. You recently worked on uh, God Forbid, uh, which is a Billy Corbin documentary on Holy God. This is the second time we. We name check Billy Corbin in two days. I mean, it's very but... hard
2: not to in Miami. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so take me through like what, you, how that is different when you're doing something for film and what that's like when you're on a on a set. I, I'm I'm curious.
2: Yeah, it's really it is a different medium than theater, and to be able to think of it differently. You know, theater I tend to think a little bit more big picture, and film I have to think more details, and documentary is even more different uh, because we are portraying real people doing real things right. and it's not fictional characters and because they of course are not the real people doing the real things they are actors doing fake things we have to get some really artistic camera angles you know and working with uh, the whole team at Rock and Tour is really great because they are pros at this. this is what they do with these documentary things with these you know reenactments so they have great ideas of what those camera angles can be but i honestly think god forbid is some of the most artistic work that i've done as an intimacy professional because of the collaboration with the actors with the camera with billy and setting up these artistic shots that sell the story without ever showing someone's face because we can't because it wasn't really them
0: so has has the choreographing of these scenes changed the way uh, a scene plays out because of these things like are, do those things go hand in hand?
2: Yeah, I think it it has or it can because we can have so many more ideas of things that we could see. You know, when we read the stage direction they have sex, like we, everybody has their own image in their mind of what that is and it's usually like a wide shot of bodies, but then we can have so many more things that that could be of, you know, hands grabbing sheets, feet and legs rubbing each other, sweat rolling down the body. You know, that was a shot that Billy definitely wanted for God forbid was sweat (laughs) (laughs) it's miami after all of course so there's so many more layers that we can think about when you have someone who is thinking about that of like what if we put the hand over on the sheet and it grabs and then we can see the wedding ring because and god forbid it's a interesting situation of of married people doing other things Uh, so so
0: it's an opportunity for a little bit for for the addition of an artistic element to it rather than a limitation
2: yes and you can really get some great close-ups and you can also get some great wide shots and know that those wide shots are going to look like the thing that you want it to look like
0: if you could fast forward 10 years here in the last minute that we have uh, what would you like to see How, how what would you like to see for the the injection of um, intimacy coordination in in artistic productions
2: well I would like to be working in Florida a lot more (laughs) that would be great (laughs) if y'all could send me some local work Uh, but I think my work would really be a lot more movement and choreography and I would not have to do some of the sort of consent education and consent lift of the production team that i have to do right now because consent will just become the norm we were all we're going to have those conversations as part of our job about how we take care of each other so i can go in and be the movement specialist in the intimate moments
0: we've been speaking with nicole perry She is an intimacy director and choreographer in South Florida of those intimate scenes uh, that make it look sultry on screen, but safe for actors. Thank you, Nicole, uh, for sharing your time. You can uh, hear her at a QA and a during the Miami Film Festival. And that's Sundial for Wednesday, March 1st. Leslie Obaye-Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of news. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we hear from the snake hunter at the center of a documentary that's premiering at the Miami Film Festival. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.